1: if you
3: dare The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world.
4: We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. Every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Celia Mosen. with new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to the Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: It's a numbers game with Gil Alexander on v one of those idiots
6: who believe in analytics. It is a numbers game right here at v the Sports Betting Network, Visa.com, the VSEN Visa app, Fubo, Sling, Game Plus, iHeartRadio, the YouTube TV, the YouTube. It's Gil Alexander. How you doing? Of course, Jeff Parlay is here, producer number eight. How you doing, Parlay? You Good. It's the middle of the week, which means we're one day away from football again. One day away from football again. Love that. Give me more football. More football. We need it. Uh, Today's show, overbooked. My bad. My fault. But it's good overbooked. Uh, Hour number two, Michael Lombardi with his triumphant return to the show, butted up against the Lombardi line. So he'll be the last guy we talk to each and every Wednesday. I will pepper him with National Football League questions, and Lombardi will indulge me. You know, if he, if he so chooses. Las Vegas Chris will be here just before that uh, contest juggernaut that he is. Finished second and fifth in circle last year. Has won multiple contests in Vegas uh, in the NFL. The win, the palms, uh, last man standing over at stations in college football. He'll be with us in studio to talk about a couple different things. Um, multiple entries, how he feels about that in contests. The life of a pro better. How he winnows down his contest uh, picks. Jason Weingarten on baseball. We have a lot to talk about with baseball. NL MVP, AL MVP, NL Cy Young. Uh, got a lot to speak to Jason about. Wes Reynolds will be here. Josh Towers on baseball. Wes Reynolds on both uh, football and golf. We'll see what he's doing golf-wise. And uh, Adam Kramer uh, joins us here at the top of the program. In fact, let's bring him in from, uh, of course, Bleacher Report and contributor to Veasan dot com Weekly, where he writes his uh, piece every week. This week, entitled, by the way, uh, "A Better's Guide to Week Three in College Football." It's funny how that works, ladies and gentlemen. At Kegs and Eggs is where you can follow him on Twitter. It's Adam Kramer. How you doing, Adam?
3: I'm good, man. Good to talk to you as always.
6: You were just telling me off air you were attending Cubs games and, and neither of us know some of the players, which I have baseball experts on, by the way, who are like, I have no idea who's pitching tonight. I've never heard of this guy. So don't feel bad is what I'm saying.
3: I, I, I feel like I, I'm pretending like I should know that information. But my other big takeaway from the Cubs game, we did have a box for the record, just to make it clear to to the listeners, I'm not normally in like a suite or a box at Cubs games. This is a rare thing. I sat inside and watched NFL most of the afternoon. Yes. I mean, that's, that's what I did. And there was a Cubs game going on with players. I've never heard of, but it was a great, great day. Well,
6: let's talk about, let's talk about Saturday. Let's talk about the day before you yeah. went to the Cubs game and specifically Ohio state and Oregon, which obviously was the biggest headline of college football on Saturday. And I was saying yesterday on air, um CJ Stroud to me. Actually, Bob Stoops said this first, and then I sort of watched what what he was talking about in the second half, and I I couldn't have agreed more. His big thing was that – CJ Stroud either you know he either he can't run, but that, that doesn't seem logical. Is a great enough athlete, but doesn't give the threat of a run, and so it makes a defense like Oregon's, which is probably mediocre. Let's be honest, just not have to worry about one full dimension of the of the football game, and so it makes them better than they really are. I, I thought that was a pretty astute comment because you watch CJ Stroud and you, and you really sort of beg for him. Hey man, like sometimes tuck it under. Did you see it that way at all?
3: Yeah, and not only did I see it that way, but you see it at like the most inopportune times. This is the second game in a row that Ohio State has been really put in a difficult situation because of his indecisiveness. The other thing I noticed with him right out of the gate, at least in two starts, and we're we're being overly critical of a guy that's actually played quite well is everything's high, right? So the game starts, he's overthrowing wide receivers, he looks a little erratic and he's when he's scrambling on the outside, now this is probably a product of Ryan Day saying, hey, you're more effective if you're throwing ball down the field to these two first round wide receivers. But there are moments where it looks like he has tons of space where it, rather than have a second and 10, you know, they could have a second and one or two. Statistically speaking, he's been a monster. And actually in the second half, he's played quite well. I mean, the guy's got tons of ability. We are talking a ton about the Ohio State defense. And I think that is at the core of right. their struggles, quite honestly. But A lot of those issues begin because Ohio State, for whatever reason early on, just can't sustain long drives. And I agree with you. I think the decision-making as a young quarterback has been a little bit questionable. And then he gets more comfortable and he seems to relax. And all of a sudden, he's off and running.
6: Yeah, I buried the headline that the Ohio State defense has never heard of the word edge before. Yeah. Oh,
3: my God.
6: Dude, that
3: that was like, if you're a high school football coach and your defensive linemen are giving up that kind of space, I mean, Oregon wasn't just running freely. I mean, they were untouched. Those were like hallways of running room to run in. That was a surprise. And I would imagine internally there's going to be probably some different um, play calling going on. Like, you, You can't do that at Ohio State and not have an immediate effect go on. And I would imagine we'll see a different product of it. I would hope, because it can't get much worse than that, quite honestly.
6: Let me get right in your wheelhouse, all of college football is your wheelhouse, but specifically Iowa. I was talking yesterday a little bit about how, uh, enough with the Matt Campbell uh, talk, if, if uh, you know, Kirk Ferentz owns him all the time and we don't hear enough about, about Kirk, but what about the Hawkeyes? Like, there is a path here for your Iowa Hawkeyes, Adam Kramer, uh, to actually make noise in a way that we might not have anticipated, I'm talking about they're eight to one to win the national championship. Would they be favored in a playoff? Of course not. But that there, there's a way for this team. If everything breaks right, they could be in this thing.
3: They, they could. Now, I still have like PCSD from watching that Michigan State Big Ten title game where they could have been in the playoff. It was Michigan State instead, who by the way, just got slaughtered by Alabama. And that's the end game for Iowa, to get slaughtered by Alabama or somebody better if they get it that far. Defense is really good. Defense is really good. And they've got a really good running back. They always have a really good offensive line. They might have the best offensive lineman in the country at center. I guess my only concern as a a fan, and I was really impressed with what they did, is you're you're seeing some of these turnovers and there is some turnover luck. They're generating some of this, but they've got seven turnovers in, in two games, and they pass for less than 250 yards. So to me, when you look at Iowa, and I think we could change the conversation around Iowa, and I am a homer, but I can admit that. So at quarterback is an interesting guy. He's five. He can throw the heck out of a football. Like if you watch him on a one or two throw basis, you're like, wow, that's an NFL guy. But the way he held on to the ball early in that game, the way he took sacks, there's obviously things they have to improve. Do you look at the schedule, I'm going to try and get – to the Penn State game at home, that could be one of the best games of the football season, depending on what happens this week and beyond. So there's a lot to like. And at the moment, right now, no one has a better resume in college football than Iowa. We'll see what happens, but I'm glad to see AP poll voters and other people reacting to what they're seeing.
6: Yeah, sixty-six to one. Is that what we're showing at BetMGM to win the whole title? Sixty-six to one for the whole title for the Hawkeyes. Um, okay, I think in at Veasan.com, you you spelled it out pretty well that this week in college football, it's really kind of top-heavy. There's three kind of really yeah. interesting, awesome games, and then everything else is kind of in one big bucket. Let's start with, the, with those three, though. Let's, let's get to all three. Alabama and Florida. Alabama, uh, questionable competition, obviously, even when you look back again in, in the game against Miami. And so we don't really know how great they are, I guess, at this point. They're giving 15. They're giving more than two touchdowns to Florida. Um, forget about Florida covering. I posed this question yesterday. Could Florida be live to actually flirt with a win here?
3: I think I feel more comfortable in saying I, I like them to cover. That Miami game, we have to recalibrate. All we do in this first month of the college football season was react, mm-hmm. and specifically, we overreact, right? And so now we watch Appalachian State kind of bring it to Miami, and we say, hold on a second. Now, Mercer does nothing for us other than give us good sound bites from Nick Save and just mad at the effort all week long in practice, which we know is going to happen. It happens every year when they play just, you know, a crummy opponent. Sorry, Mercer fans out there. So it's a—it's really the first road start for Bryce Young. It's a Florida team that I'm really interested because they've got their own little quarterback controversy brewing. If you watch with Embry Jones plugging him in, you've got two quarterbacks that obviously have the formula to run and to throw, which is sort of the Nick Saban kryptonite, which I think is a little unfair these days because it's kind of the kryptonite for everybody is having a quarterback that's really good at a lot of things. But still, that's been the undoing before. I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of inclined. We haven't exactly seen much from Florida yet either. And this is just one of those leap of faith games. I think if you have a feel, and I'm kind of with you, I'm inclined to take the points. You lean out. You take a stab at fifteen and a half. If you are gonna, if I'm reading the line, by the way, are you are you money line partaking here? Are you at least contemplating a money line play?
6: Uh, I don't know if I have if if I've got the onions yet for that. But but you know, I know. I'm with you. Yeah, but I'm thinking about it.
3: it. It's. It's a very reasonable spot, and I think we'll learn a lot about Alabama, obviously. We'll learn a lot about both of these teams, but yes, I'm, I'm I'm studying this up the same way you are. I'm inclined to take the points. By the way, there's a real possibility that we do that, and Florida loses by 35 at home. That's exactly right. And I've accepted that. That's right. I've accepted that. That's very possible, too. And you'll probably know within about eight minutes of game time if that's going to happen. So there won't be a lot of drama here. You'll kind of know where you stand with your 15 and a half or like pretty shortly thereafter kickoff.
6: Uh, Cincinnati at Indiana is curious because the line is only, as you pointed out in your piece, three and a half. And Indiana was a team that we, again, as you talked about off season, we took such pleasure in saying, well, that was fun last year. Just not going to happen this year. And yet this line is only three and a half. That's a little curious, isn't it?
3: It's very curious. It's going to draw a lot of public action. Maybe some fours out there right now. Just looking at this morning, I would, this is, this is like my game as a contrarian gambler. I look at this game. And I look at what people are going to do. They're going to look at Cincinnati being number eight in the AP poll, believe they're eight, and they're going to say, wow, that seems like a good spot. The other thing that we have to do with this game now, we're doing this with Miami and Alabama. We're evaluating what that first win means. Maybe we have to evaluate what it means to get beat up by Iowa because they just did it to a better team, right? And they did it on the road. So Indiana got blitzed by Iowa. They lost by a lot. And maybe that's not a terrible thing right iowa might be really really good if we were just talking about the hawkeyes for a while which is rarity to be quite honest when i'm when i'm coming on shows like this so to me you know cincinnati has has beaten up bad teams so far this year we know that they competed with georgia to end last season we know they've got a really good quarterback Ritter. I, i like the cincinnati team a lot and i am inclined to hope the cincinnati team wins because you've got this, you've got Notre Dame, and I like playoff chaos. I want to see a group of five team make the playoff. But this is business, and I'm with you. I look at this point spread, and this is a prime Hoosiers 2020 injects some magic into 2021 spot. I actually like Indiana quite a bit in this, this situation.
6: Adam, can I keep you for five more minutes? Because I want to ask you about sure. uh, Penn State, Auburn. And then of course, I feel uh, I would feel remiss if I didn't ask you about USC in that opening. Uh, Adam Kramer. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Adam Kramer, at uh, Kegs and Eggs, is where you can find him on Twitter, Bleacher Report, and, of course, VSIN.com. Kind enough to join us on a numbers game at VSIN, the Sports Betting Network, coming right back.
1: Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport, and me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get
3: your podcast.
7: The numbers game with Gil Alexander on v the sports betting network.
6: Football season is here, and it's time to download BetMGM Sports. It is Nevada's premier sports betting app, BetMGM, with all your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted odds specials, and much more. Just download the app today and stop by any MGM casino on the strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling Problem. Call 1-800-522-4700. Parlay, you like that? Iowa 8-1 to win the Big Ten, 66-1 to win the whole national championship. You like those bets?
8: I like the first one you said, a heck of a lot more than the national championship. They can't possibly beat Alabama. But, but you
6: can work with that if you have that number. Oh, yeah,
8: sure. Yeah. I, look, it's if, if they uh, if they keep winning, and like what Adam said, that Penn State game in Iowa City might be the biggest game, period, in the Big Ten. It might even be a Big Ten Championship preview.
6: Speaking of Penn State, let's bring in Adam Kramer once again from uh, again on Twitter at kegs and eggs. Uh, kind enough to stick around with us, uh, all my friends up at State College. Adam, this is this is one of these. You know, I've been saying uh, hotel rooms booked for months at astronomical prices. Um, how do you feel about this game? This is a great, this is an, on a, on a lower key college football weekend. This is a great game to have as, as the late game or not the total late Pacific time games, obviously, but the, the night game, Penn state favored by six and a half.
3: Yeah. And, and just, I've got to get chills thinking about it because the scene is going to be electric Oh yeah. after, you know, Penn state, not having fans last year, the whiteout is, I think the coolest scene in all of college football. And I'm, I am just. I'm going to be writing about this game, covering this game. I I cannot wait for this. Now, the game itself, I think, is a little perplexing, right? Because Auburn, new coach, has not played anybody, has ran the ball incredibly well. Um, we got to figure out what Auburn is. And Penn State, we saw them beat Wisconsin. That was not the prettiest game. It Actually, I was really impressed. I don't know about you, but I thought that Ball State was a good chance for a letdown with that line was 22. And they played really well. That was a really... That's good coaching, and uh, I think a lot of people, including myself, thought that, that Ball State looked live there, at least with the points. So uh, I'm inclined to partake in the total here. I kind of like the under. I think with the environment, uh, these two teams running the ball, I don't expect this to be like an explosive game. And, and so as I'm trying to figure out both of these two teams, Penn State looks a lot better. Defenses should be pretty good. This could be an ugly, close one to two possession game all night i'm gonna go under here because i just don't have a great feel about both of these teams and the sides there's just a lot of teams out there we mentioned cincinnati before we went to break that have just played nobody and auburn's one of those teams they, i mean there's nothing to draw from other than they've got a couple of really good backs they've got a new coach and the defense should be pretty good so it's hard to, hard to draw a lot of conclusions from that and carry it forward to this game
6: Fifty two and a half, fifty three is where the number is set somewhere in that pocket right now
3: Yes, 53 is what I locked in at, by the yeah. way, because I, I feel like that was going to come down. So I'll, I'll play the over here and probably stick out, uh, stay away from the side.
6: Okay, you're right or about the football. Me,
3: stay away from the side.
6: Stay away from the side, yeah. And then, you're right, the Bo Nick's home road splits are perplexing. There's a whole bunch of uh, the football game itself that uh... – is uh, definitely question marks. That's for sure. Definitely are question marks. All right, before you go here then, Clay Helton fired after two games, specifically after the Stanford loss, while, it should be mentioned, Oregon, you know, earlier in the day, their Pac-12 brethren was at the horseshoe beating Ohio State. I wouldn't be surprised if that was, you know, in the mix, a little mention where it's like, I'm sure they had it in their mind to begin with, but that was like the final nail in the coffin kind of thing. Um, Surprised that he was fired? I'm guessing not. But after game two, isn't the problem then more the administration than Helton himself if they're doing that?
3: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. This is what, you're seven, you've been there six years, and you're gonna fire him after game two. Now I understand there's a new A D, and it really doesn't matter to say he's lingered this long long. By the way, shout out to Clay Helton. That is a tremendous thing. Cash in, what, twelve, fifteen million the last three years, get a buyout of ten million this year. I mean <laughs> That's fired fired big time coach. But no, I, I was surprised. I think it's completely unnecessary. You could start your coaching search right now, and you probably have without firing, and that's what we do in college football. It feels like a bit of an overreaction, but if you're USC at this point, you you plant your flag in the ground, you put it out there for the world to see, for Bob Stoops to see, maybe for Urban Meyer to see who looks, uh, who knows how that's going to go. I don't necessarily buy that rumor, but you start to figure out what you're going to be. I'll say this. It was time, but it was probably time three years ago. So someone has been beating this drum I I don't know if there's a, a good time to do this because the good time was a long time ago. So I guess now is as good a time as ever. I am very curious to see what the interest in this job is going to be, though, because it is still an incredible job that can be lost in 10 years of just blah, football it is still an incredible job and i think there'll be a lot of interest
6: yeah and how and how you know blue chip players from that region of the country go elsewhere is just yep. unforgivable and we'll see which of these rumors not you know, urban Meyer's name is out there i don't know how true that is but eric bienemy so. eric bienemy was tossed yeah. around yesterday so that that could be interesting
3: you you know who would be the perfect fit for this job and i mean this sincerely but also for comedic relief is lane Kiffin. Like the 2021 version <laughs> of Lane Kiffin.
6: That's right. He
3: was, he was early. Yeah. He was, he was immature by his own admission. Talked to him a lot about this. This version of Lane Kiffin would be perfect. I doubt that's going to happen.
6: Oh, that'd be wonderful. I'd love it. Oh, gosh. Adam Kramer, Great everybody. There. Appreciate it, Adam. Thank you so much for staying over, man. All right, man. Talk to you next week. Adam Kramer at Kegs and Eggs once again on Twitter. Um, something big happened over the weekend. And because, you know, I got here Monday morning and it was the first Guessing Lines of the Year, and Christy and I were so excited to go, we just dove right into Guessing Lines and uh, did a whole show Monday. Didn't address what the big thing that happened this weekend. And then yesterday, um, you know, shame on me, it didn't come up either because I don't know, I was just locked in. But, ladies and gentlemen, producer number eight, Jeffrey Parlay. Got engaged, uh, and uh, she said yes. Is that correct, Jeff? Was it a, a confirmation on that? Yes, it was a confirmation. Nice. Oh, I mean, it, it, we wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't. Mazel. <laughs> oh, no, that's what you think. <laughs> Mazeltov to you and Margaret, both of you. Now, Thank is she, she going to go with Parlay, Parles, or Cleveland? Because Grover Cleveland producer. What is she? I with? don't think Cleveland's in the running, no. Gil. Parls is, is she going to do? Or she? I—I gonna... I, I,
8: I think so. Who Who we, dis- have,
6: we have a wild Gil. Congratulations Thank to you, you, man. Was it was it uh, was it nerve wracking for you?
8: So I would say more than anything, Gil. The I was fine most of the day, and then about three hours before we left to go to Legacy Club, which is where I I, I proposed. But I,
6: please explain to people what Legacy Club is that sounds is, like a strip club that that you went to? The, the yeah.
8: rooftop uh, uh, club there, which by the way, beautiful place. Derek and company did a great job with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to text one of my good friends who had just gotten engaged earlier this year, and texted him, "I'm doing this tonight. How do you not vomit in the lead up to it to keep yourself (laughs) from vomiting because of the nerves? Even though, again, I I knew what the answer was going to be. But it was a great, it was a great night. It was a great moment. It got, it was, uh, it was incredible. It was incredible.
6: Congratulations to you, you, man. Do I? Do you mind if I, if we ask how old you are on air so people can know how old you've decided to get engaged? At what age? How old are you? Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight years old. Mazel Tov to you and to Margaret. Uh, Sorry I didn't bring it up earlier on the show, but... uh we sort I mean, of got locked in. It's all good, Yeah. Yeah, as John Goulet said, if, yeah, if you had brought it up, people are like, just start guessing lines. People would have started, <laughs> started complaining. So congratulations, man, to you both. I'm sure mom and dad, I'm sure your mom and dad are thrilled. Over the moon. I, I think my mom's more excited than both of us. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, good for you kids. Good for you. Let's let's show these uh, baseball season win uh, totals real quick. Can we do that? Uh, here is we, before we go to break. Uh, so roughly 16, 17, 18 games left in in the Major League Baseball season. I ended up on primetime action last night, which I did with Matt Brown and Kelly Bidlin, doing a, uh, a parlay, which was the uh, the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Yankees. The Yankees had Cole going. Uh, the Giants were, f- it was a fate of Arietta, and the Dodgers weren't going to lose to the Diamondbacks. That ended up paying plus 186, easy peasy. Um, but as far as season win totals, it looks like the Giants and Dodgers are never going to lose again. Either of those two teams, and they're you know the Giants have already well cleared theirs. The Dodgers still trying to get to theirs. But here's here's every team in Major League Baseball thirty, uh, all thirty and. There's only been a handful that have clinched. So the Rays have already clinched. They're over. Now, the numbers on the left are sort of an aggregate season win total. They're going to be somewhere in between, in some cases, an open and a close. But the Rays have already cleared. 86 was their average season win total across the board in February when these first came out. They're already at 90. That's an over. The Twins, much to my chagrin, that was my one that lost out of my four, they are way under. 88.5, they're at 64. The under has been clinched there. Everybody else on that first sheet uh, still pending. That's the entire American League right there. Everybody else pending. By the way, Baltimore is the one where they would have to win out to push on theirs. So Baltimore's on the cusp of uh, the under clinching as well, which I did have. I also had the, uh, the Rangers under, which looks to be pretty solid. Um but the twins did lose. The only the fourth one I have is the Blue Jays. Still some work to do. Eighty one current wins, they gotta get past eighty seven. It's a favorite to, to get there, but we shall see. National League, so only, only the twins and Rays with the Orioles on the cusp. Nationally we have five that have already clinched. The Mets, sorry, Jeffrey. The Mets have clinched under they're 18 games currently below where they were 90 was their season win total. They're at 72. The Nationals, brutal. 84 and a half, they're at 60. That under clinches. The Giants, as we just mentioned, almost 20 games already above their season win total at 95. Giants magic. The Padres, 21 games below their season win total. That under has clinched. And then the Diamondbacks, just on sheer futility, 27, roughly, 27 and a half games below their season window of 75 and a half there at 47. So we'll update these on a weekly basis. And some, three or four will inevitably come down to not only the final week, but the final series of the season at the beginning of October. Coming back with Josh Towers on a numbers game at Visa the Sports Betting Network.
5: The numbers game with Gil Alexander on Visa, the sports betting
6: network. Make this football season your best sports betting season ever. Start your Visa free trial today to get full access to our sports betting experts, including twenty-four-seven video streaming, daily best bet emails, betting splits with the money and ticket percentages on every game, plus full access to Visa.com data and analysis. You get everything Visa has to offer for only twenty-two dollars per month. Sign up now at visa.com/slash subscribe. It's Gil Alexander, uh, Jeffrey Parlay. <clears throat> pardon me, producer number eight, with me as well. Uh, Josh Tower standing by. Uh, Jeff, we were just talking off air, and I've been talking for months now about the narratives in these baseball markets and how these markets are so skewed right whether you think fernando Tatis jr should win the nl mvp or not the fact that he's been riding at minus 300 or thereabouts for months now is just ridiculous it it, it reflects nothing that's actually happening on a baseball diamond it's so it drives me crazy how no one can quit tatis and we'll later with jason weingarten we'll go through sort of a player by player comparison Uh, The other thing, last night on Primetime Action, I brought up, you know, the NL Cy Young. Max Scherzer's now your short shot. Bueller's on his team. Kershaw's in that same staff. Julio Urias has a 17-3 record, Jeff. 17-3 with a sub-3 ERA. 2.98. And he's 100-1? I'm not saying he's going to win the NL Cy Young, but what world is it where he's 100-1 And everybody else is like, you know, Max Scherzer's barely plus money. Like, I just, that's what I'm getting at with these awards. They're so absolutely story-driven. They make no, there's no reflection to what's actually happening on the field itself.
8: I do have one quick question for you. Mm -hmm. The AL MVP race at this point. Yes. Yes. I know we've said Otani's oh, winning the award if you know he gets to I the stand. end of the season on, on two feet. Yeah. But with how hot Vlad has been, coincided with the Blue Jays' run possibly into the playoffs, it's still Otani's award, correct? Yes, I've been consistent on this from the okay. beginning. Just making sure.
6: Shohei Otani is not. There should be an award above MVP. Shohei Otani is having one of the greatest individual seasons in the history of baseball. And just like in 2012, when I said. Just like in 2012 when I said that, uh, listen, Miguel Cabrera has to win the MVP because he won the Triple Crown, something we have talked about for 45 years. Carl Yastrzemski was the last before that to win it in 1967. You have to give it to the guy. You can't ignore the Triple Crown. I'm not just going to be ignored. (laughs) That's the fatal attraction line. Uh, You can't just ignore that. You had to give it to Miggy Cabrera, and they did. And it's the same thing now. Now, okay, with the Triple Crown thing, we've, we've already decided as we've gotten more advanced in stats and more uh, uh, wrapped our heads around what matters and what doesn't, we get it. The Triple Crown is just in two categories, counting stats, and, and they're sort of a related. The average is in there, too. It's just it's not as important as we once made it when we weren't as sophisticated. But what Shohei is doing now is exactly what I would say same sort of narrative where it's, where it's like what he is doing hasn't been done in a century. It is Ruthian enough. He could have ended up 50 and 25 this year. And oh, by the way, he's on the Cy Young market page. He's in the top five for Cy Young. What, what is Vlad's what, what is Vlad's ERA again? Just curious. Let's bring it Josh Towers at No Don't Josh. Ladies and gentlemen, former major leaguer. Let's see, let's see if he agrees with what I'm saying. How you doing, Josh? I'm good, Gil. How are you? I'm good. Do you agree with that or not?
9: I agree that Vladdy does not have an ERA that I know of. Thank you. Yeah, I just do.
6: curious. What about the what about the rest of it?
9: Um. Yeah. I, I mean, how do you not at, at this point? It's he's done stuff that that we've only dreamt of. You know, every one of us pitchers want to hit and play defense, and every hitter wants to pitch, and, and they don't let us, and then this guy comes and changes it and then shows us why you shouldn't let us. And what he's done on the mound is probably more impressive than what he's done at the plate. You always have those voters, though, Gil, that, that, you know, you got the Hall of Fame voters, I'll never vote for anybody the first time. Like, those guys shouldn't be allowed in our game, right. but you're always going to have those guys, and they're going to look and say, well, Shohei Otani at the end of August and start of September has really struggled offensively. He's really struggled on the mound. He couldn't finish his season, and... And maybe he does have a good final couple weeks to end the season, but you're going to have that as well. So I think that's the one question mark. But I I, I don't understand how you wouldn't give it to him. I get what Vladdy's doing, but Shohei Otani's doing this on a team with nobody around him, no help at all. And and Vladdy has five dudes around him with 100 RBIs. Like, it's just, it's not even the same
6: comparison. Yeah, by the way, can I also splash some water on the notion that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to win the Triple Crown? He's six behind an RBI. And there's guys in between him and the lead. So it's very unlikely that he wins the Triple Crown. By the way, his lead in batting averages is, is .001. His lead in homers is one. So this notion that he's going to win the Triple Crown. So if he doesn't win, let's say he falls just shy on two of those categories. All of a sudden, all those people screaming at the Triple Crown go away. Or the notion of the Blue Jays, like if they make the playoffs by by one game, Right or have to get a playoff to get in, or if they've been in a playoff and they lose, like all of a sudden that changes their thoughts about his candidacy. All of that is such nonsense to me, right? It's just, it's such nonsense that the notion that just the tick up or the tick down will determine whether he's a viable candidate or not. Shohei is your MVP. Everybody's. The, yeah, the,
9: the whole thing predicated on whether somebody gets in the playoff or not is, yeah. is, is false to me. I understand that, that, It's the most valuable player and not a stat-driven, but we do make it a stat-driven. But again, I mean, if we're really talking about the most valuable player, then in the National League, it's Jacob deGrom, because we saw what with the Mets when he's out. So, I mean, it's it's really, you know, again, when we're looking at the way we've always voted it, it's Shohei Otani, and that's it.
6: Yeah. The best, uh, the best players in the National League to me are, if you just do a best player award, it's Jacob Degrom and it's Juan Soto, and that's that's it, right? But doesn't and for again, then there's the other crowd that's like, oh yeah, but Shohei Otani plays for a crappy team and none of his bats are, are meaningful. We've already broken that precedent before too, so let's not bring that one back like that matters, you know? And, it, 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 we go to the, I'm sorry, go ahead.
9: I was like, trust me, they're meaningful. I'm not trying to give up a hit to anybody.
6: Yes. From a major leaguer himself, and then I mean, there's so many of these, right? Juan Soto, oh, he so he, he his team's not going to make the playoffs, yeah. But Tatis ain't, ain't making the playoffs either. I got news for everybody, right? With the schedule, they're not making it. Uh, Bryce Harper's not making the playoffs. All these guys in the NL, so it's it's uh, it's fascinating to me the stands that people make on all of these. Speaking of that, let me just ask you, as a guy who you were in the Mets uh, organization uh, in terms of your coaching more yep. recently than your playing days. What is the most you called? What happened in the NL East pretty much to a T. Are the Phillies? I know the Padres pre-flop this season are the most disappointing, along with the Twins, of course. But in terms of teams that were projected to make the postseason, the Padres are certainly up there. But are the Phillies kind of in that category, like based on talent and how many opportunities they had to get to the postseason? Are they as disappointing as those two?
9: I think I see. It's tough for me. Like, like we look at I look at basketball when I look at this, and you put a team like the Padres together. And you put them all together for the first time and then expect them to be successful their first year. I I, I think that team in Miami with Wade Bosch and and LeBron didn't win their first year either, if I'm not mistaken. Um, It takes time to to gel a little bit. And so, yes, the expectation with the Padres was a lot higher, but they still need time together. Um, So I'm not as upset with them, but they did put a pretty good run. But there were some things that that kind of threw me off and, and like, you know, how bad you've been. Uh, lately and the inconsistency of Blake Snell and and it, there's just been a lot of stuff that is still kind of weird from from veterans perspective. When we're talking about the Phillies, I always have high expectations of them, but they always do this. It's at some point where they just you know they, they did it at the end of July, then they did the middle of August. now they're doing it at the beginning of September where they just a little bit later each year they kind of seem to blow it. Um, so I don't know, man. I mean I, I, I think the Phillies should always be better. This is uh, it's early in Girardi's tenure as well, but I I, I can't figure out why they can't finish a season, um, and why they can't address with the right players the issues that they have. It's weird to me.
6: And the Cardinals, who I mentioned on this show last week, were twelve to one yes to make the playoffs, and I threw it out to multiple people, and they all sort of dismissed it. They are now in the number two wild card position. The Cardinals way. Can you imagine a Cardinals Giants both getting in the postseason, uh, magic against magic. Those two uh, franchises. Anything you like today on the card, Josh?
9: I would have never at some point. I mean, I always pick the Cardinals, but I never would have guessed at this point that they would have. I, I just feel like their manager's not the right guy. But, you know, then all of a sudden they win some games and people dismiss that as well. It's kind of shocking what they're doing, but pretty cool as well. And, again, take advantage of the of the series that you have at hand, the struggling Mets. Like, you have to beat them if you're the Cardinals, and that's what they're doing. Um, yeah, a couple of things I'm leaning towards. The Rays. With Robbie Ray, he has pitched against uh, the Rays four times. Sorry, the Blue Jays with Robbie Ray. He's pitched against the Rays four times, and he's done well in every game. And Waka has, you know, as we know, his struggles. He likes to give up a handful of runs. A couple good games recently, but not against uh, offenses like this. So I lean Robbie Ray. And the Blue Jays, and then uh, Cincinnati, I like Cincinnati as well. I think Gutierrez has looked really good. Um, So I think that he'll continue to pitch well. This is a game that they have to win after giving up six yesterday. Keller's been pretty inconsistent. And then... um, Quantrill and the Indians I like. Jackson, Minnesota has given up, uh, what, four or more at least in five, I think, straight. And he's given up a home run in seven straight games. So I lean the Indians as well.
6: All right. And that one's a coin flip, minus 105 on both sides, uh, Cleveland and Minnesota. Uh, you are not required to watch that baseball game if you are wagering you on are it. Not. Just that, that the disclaimer. Uh, <laughs> Toronto with Robbie Ray, minus 165-ish consensus. And then Cincinnati. Wow. The Reds, who refuse to make the postseason, Josh, they just are in the worst mood. Oh, my God. They're minus 135-ish on the road at the Pirates, who I would say are hapless, but the Pirates got the best of the Reds last night, and the Mets and the Cardinals were really in a mano-a-mano mono, mono, mono last night because everybody else was losing. Um, whoever won that game was going to pick up ground, and it ends up being the Cardinals and come from behind. Come from behind, come from. Uh, then the Mets had some drama in the ninth with the Baez-Homer, and the Cardinals win it in extras. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon, Josh Towers. Everybody at No Don't Josh on Twitter. Wes Reynolds joins us next. Let's talk a little NFL and golf. It's a numbers game at Visa, and the sports betting network.
0: At Bet Three Six Five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play—from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
4: I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States.
1: Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi
7: Rappaport, and me,
1: Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio Radio app, Apple Podcast, or
7: wherever you get your podcast. A numbers game with Gil Alexander on v the sports betting network. Get your
6: payout before the game's out with BetMGM. Place a money line wager on any Thursday night football game, and if your team is up by 10 or more points at halftime, you win. That's a full payout for only half the game, no matter what happens the rest of the way. Simply go to your BetMGM account and opt in each week to the Thursday night halftime payout promotion. Want to keep things rolling? Try BetMGM's extensive live betting options in the third quarter, or use your winnings to place a one-game parlay on Sunday. New to BetMGM? Just download the app. will take you but a few seconds. And see how you can turn halftime into cash time. Make a money line bet on Thursday night, and if your team is up by 10 or more, you'll win at the half. Only at BetMGM, the king of sports books. Opt in required. Eligibility restrictions apply. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years or older to wager. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem. Call 1 800 Gambler. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. At Skill Alexander, it is a numbers game. Jeffrey Parlay is here. Uh, Wes Reynolds standing by. Uh, Norm McDonald passed away at the age of 61. Um, in my Johnny Unitas San Diego Chargers year in music radio, my Joe Namath L.A. Rams year, uh, we had a whole bunch of... Con- I did some stupid little morning show in San Francisco. It's a really stupid show. But uh, we had all kinds of comics go th- come through, and they're the most tortured pe- of of all celebrities, of all sort of entertainers. They're the most tortured group. And whether it was Richard Lewis or Daryl Hammond or Bobby Lee, whoever I can't remember, David Alan Greer, whoever came through that door. um, It was always fascinating to just observe them as people. And then there was Norm MacDonald, who was just a genius. And for me, on my Mount Rushmore of comics, Eddie Murphy, just because childhood, anything Eddie Murphy says makes me laugh. Uh, Chappelle, obviously, used to come to San Francisco in the middle of the night, like without announcing it, we would go see Chappelle at midnight. Um, sometimes till six in the morning when he was like trying to beat Dane Cook for longest, uh, you know, shows ever. But Norm MacDonald, the smartest, the funniest, you just never knew what was coming out of his mouth. It was always so super smart. It's um, <laughs> just, you like, eh, so, uh, so... Uh, you're a Jew, are you? You know, he had just had that folksy Canadian thing happening, which sounds like an oxymoron, but he was just, I can't, there's, there's very few of his jokes I could repeat on air here, because we're obviously in a very politically correct time, but he was just absolutely fabulous. Saw so him here at the South Point as well, he would always mill about. Um, Rest in peace, Norm McDonald at the age of 61, who also hosted the Espies famously and was kicked off Saturday Night Live because he refused not to tell OJ jokes when I, I don't know if it was Olmeyer or Ebersol, whoever was running it was friendly with OJ Simpson. Um, but Norm didn't care. Norm was one of a kind. And so uh, a tribute to uh, Norm McDonald on this morning. Here's a guy who I'm sure knows lots about Norm McDonald because he knows everything about pop culture. It's Wes Reynolds. How you doing, Wes?
5: Good morning, Gil. How are you?
6: Good. I'm doing well. Was he on your Mount Rushmore as well of comics?
5: You know, he would certainly be up there because I think when you look at comics, Gil, like some comics are really good performers and then some comics are really good writers. And he was really both because before he got to SNL, he was actually on the writing staff of Roseanne, which was Mm -hmm. doing monster ratings at the time and probably arguably the best sitcom on primetime television. And not only was he a good writer, but that deadpan delivery you talked about. It made him so unique, if you remember him (laughs) on on Weekend Update, because he wasn't like your typical one-liner type of comedian or like a monologue type of comedian, but he just had such a deadpan delivery. I mean, only Norm Macdonald, and I tweeted this yesterday, could make the, you guessed it, Frank Stallone bit funny every (laughs) single time. And he certainly did that. So, you know, he, he will be missed just, uh, just a brilliant mind and a brilliant comedian
6: chess players. uh, They say that uh, checkers players are stupid, but I love playing checkers. Plus, the red ones are tasty. Like, just that's the only one you could really tell. All the all the other ones don't quite make it. But, yeah, no, typically it would make you think. And so I just wanted to uh, stop down and, and uh, say a few words about Norm, who was just tremendous. And we were all thrilled to meet him here at the South Point. Um, okay, let's talk your biggest takeaway from week one in the National Football League. Has anything, and, again, we don't want to be prisoner of the moment. We don't want to overreact. However, I took my one, I, I said I bought one overreaction PSL, and I am all in on the Cardinals. I think they're fabulous. If I gave you that license and said, all right, you're allowed to perhaps overreact, but obviously you won't consider an overreaction, what's the team that you think you actually did change your mind on after one week?
5: Yeah, in, in looking at this, Gil, in terms of a, you know, because most of the teams, it's like there's a couple teams that, are gonna, that we thought were going to be good going into the regular season. It's like, okay, they're going to be good. And then there's a couple teams we thought were going to be bad. Like Jacksonville looks very bad to me. Atlanta looks very bad to me. And I guess the, uh, the one team that I kind of changed my perception on a little bit is the baltimore ravens and maybe a little bit to the negative now i think the slow start's going to continue and then eventually they're going to get it right but what i saw here in las vegas on monday night at allegiant stadium in the raiders home opener this offensive line has got some real issues yeah and they're not they're not the only team in the in in the national football league that has offensive line issues at least probably half the teams really do but that right side got absolutely beat up by the Raiders. And, and Max Crosby, boy, he had himself a game. And if there's a big jersey seller here in Las Vegas, it's got to be Max Crosby. Because he was in that backfield all night, you know, pressuring Lamar Jackson. And Lamar, being the great athlete that he is, was able to kind of avoid that a lot of the times. But Villanueva and Zeitler got beat up on the right side. And then the best line, lineman they have, who's coming back from that injury, Ronnie Stanley, he was getting beat on the other side by Ngakwe and some of the other defensive ends. So this Ravens offensive line, I think, has got to get better because I think the Browns, even at a loss, They still looked pretty good. They still look like they have a ton of weapons and they're going to win a lot of games. The Steelers, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment and buy them after one game. I know they have a championship defense, though. I think we all knew that. And that's why when I saw them at eight and a half on the wind total, I was like, maybe that's a little bit of an overreaction and we're throwing these guys away too quick, but the offense is still a work in progress, but I think certainly the Steelers—you got to think—are going to at least be a factor in that division. So it'd be Baltimore for me.
6: Wes, what was the percentage of people that you would estimate left allegiant on the on the uh, was it the Edwards touchdown? Who was it that the, the, the would be touchdown that yes. wasn't? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. What, what percentage do you think?
5: I would say probably you know twenty-five to thirty <laughs> percent. Because look, uh, what we talk about here in Las Vegas. This is still a brand new pro sports town. Yes. So you have fans that aren't used to being. in you know, hardcore fans and staying to the end. And we know the traffic issues and all the logistics around that stadium, not exactly the best, not exactly the most well thought through. So, you know, they want to beat that traffic and be able to sit on that I-15 for a couple hours.
6: Are these really the, the NFC North numbers at BetMGM currently, Jeff? Yes. So the Ravens are plus 130 still and the Browns are plus 175. I will never understand this market. I just do not understand that. Everything Wes just outlined, and Wes, I think you're right about the offensive line of the Ravens, and that's not a problem. You can fix that quickly. You know, you just can't plug in guys and expect it to improve. So, you know, it's it's Lamar Jackson. I think he dropped the ball twice, but like part of me wants to kill him for fumbling. The other part of me was he was running for his life all, all game. So, I don't know. Uh, interesting that the Ravens are still the short shot at BetMGM. Um, okay, Wes, only a f- couple minutes here. Where do we stand on golf? You betting golf this week? Yeah, I
5: am, and, and I wrote a column for PointsBet Weekly, which will be out later today, and also on com. So I am betting, but I'm taking a lot more shots. You know, I'm throwing maybe some more darts this week, and I think some weeks to come because this is the fall series. So you're not always going to have necessarily a complete field. Like John Rahm is the favorite this week at the Fortinet Championship, but why is he there? Is he there basically to give himself and his wife a night's trip to Napa Valley for wine country? Or is he there just to get (laughs) some kinks out before the Ryder Cup next week? So this isn't an event he normally plays, so that's why you see him at four to one, and I'm not going to bet it that low. Like, he can go on and win this and maybe he's going to be motivated not winning player of the year, and that being given to Patrick Cantlay, I thought Rahm was the Player of the year, but I digress anyway, so, or maybe he takes it out on Team USA at Whistling Straits and goes 5-0 and in his matches.
6: Wes, is, uh, Wes does have his article at Point Spread Weekly, or excuse me, at the for the Fortinet Championship. Um, John Rahm, I'm saying to make the top 10 is like north of $3. Good God.
5: Yeah, no thank you. No thank you to me because <laughs> you never know. And Brady Cannon even brought that up. Uh, we did a short shots podcast, not the full show this week, and said, you know what? I saw Rom like 8-1 to one to make the cut. You know, like if he doesn't make the cut here, well, he's going immediately to Whistling's race for the Ryder Cup. So it's like I would almost rather bet to miss the cut than necessarily win this thing.
6: Yeah, okay. don't give away your whole piece at, at Visa.com, but give me a name or two that you will have some money on.
5: Yeah, the shortest shot I played was Cabanad, twenty-five to one. Maybe fits on Narrative Street like Horschel did last week in Europe, a Ryder Cup snub, out to prove something. And then a couple triple-digit guys, Taylor Pendriff, a big hitter from the Corn Ferry Tour from Canada, a little over a hundred to one. Couple big hitters have won this over the last couple years. He fits the profile, and also Aaron Rye at one hundred to one, should have won on the Corn Ferry Tour a couple weeks ago. Made a mess of it on eighteen, but two-time European Tour winner now has his feet. Tour
6: card. Wes, always a pleasure, man. Always appreciate it. Thank you so much, man.
5: You bet, guys. Thanks for having me.
6: Wes Reynolds at Wes Reynolds one. That's the number one on Twitter. Uh, the Swiss Army Knife here at Veasan, who can talk about anything, sports and beyond. Always knowledgeable on everything. Gotta love that. We'll come back. Jason Weingarten and I outraged at baseball awards markets. That's next on a numbers game at Veasan, the sports betting network.
2: Get your payout before the game's out with BetMGM. Place a Moneyline wager on any Thursday night football game, and if your team is up by 10 or more points at halftime, you win. That's a full payout for only half the game, no matter what happens the rest of the way. Simply go to your BetMGM account and opt in each week to the Thursday night halftime payout promotion. Want to keep things rolling? Try BetMGM's exclusive line betting options in the third quarter, or use your winnings to place a one-game Parlay on Sunday. New to BetMGM? Download the app and see how you can turn halftime into cash time. Make a money line bet on Thursday night, and if your team is up by 10 or more, you'll win at the half. Only at BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Opt in required, eligibility restrictions apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years or older to wager. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler. Promotional offer not available in Nevada.
5: This is vSyn, the sports betting network.
2: Whether you're a novice or a seasoned
0: veteran in the sports book, vSyn is here to help you improve your sports betting skills. vSIN has assembled the leading team of insiders and handicappers to analyze every angle of every game so you can make the most informed wagering decisions. The VSIN approach is simple. The more you know as a sports better, the better chance you have to succeed. We cover every sport from the better's perspective, and we bring that excitement, and we bring that excitement, and we bring that excitement, and we bring that excitement,
7: and we bring that excitement, and we bring that excitement, and we bring that excitement, and we bring that excitement.